The Gospel according to Mark, chapter 10, beginning at verse 2. Some Pharisees came, and to test Jesus they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw that, he was indignant. And he said to the disciples, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Sometimes on Sunday evenings, when I was young, my mom would set the dinner table with the good china. The food wasn't necessarily any fancier than usual, but we carefully put out the cream plates with the gold trim that my parents got for their wedding and the nice silverware that mostly came out for holidays. And we even used a tablecloth, all at the ordinary kitchen table. My mom would tell us that the Good China Dinner was a way to remember and practice our manners so that when we, when we grew up and went to fancy dinners someday, we would know how to behave. I suspect it also gave my parents at least one slightly quieter and less chaotic dinner each week. But she would also tell us the story of her violin teacher, Mrs. Blanton, who used to say that it was too bad most of us only used our fanciest and best dishes on rare occasions. Why, she would say, why save your beautiful things for people you don't see very often? Maybe people you don't even know. Maybe people you don't even really like. Why not use the best things for the people you love the most? If they break, well, is that really so bad? What's the point of having beautiful dishes if they never make it out of the cabinet and onto the table? It's a risk. Of course, beautiful things can break. And when they do, they can be sharp. They can cause damage. You might not be able to replace them. 
But there's that question. What's the good of something beautiful that never sees the light of day, never becomes part of our daily lives, stays hidden and protected because we're afraid to break it, but also stays distant and disconnected from who we really are? Are you wondering yet what any of this has to do with the gospel? Fair enough. The Bible is full of hard passages, and they're hard for a variety of reasons. Sometimes because they challenge what we think and how we behave. Like when Jesus tells us to give our money away, or to forgive 70 times 7, an infinite amount, and we feel a pit in our stomach about how far we are from ever actually doing that. Some passages are hard because they're confusing, or they contradict other things in the Bible, or they're so different from the world as we know it. Some passages are hard because they describe our own suffering, which can take us right back to hard and painful moments in our lives. And some passages are hard because they have been used as weapons against us or people we love. This gospel passage today might be more than one of those things for you. It might challenge what you think. It might be confusing. It might feel as if it comes from a completely different world. It might connect to your suffering and pain or the life of someone you love. And it might very well have been used as a weapon against you or others. One option for these hard biblical passages is to put them back in the cabinet and walk away. They are too fragile, too complex, too difficult, too painful to use. And if we do, we might break them, and then the damage would only be worse. Better to leave them there. The problem, of course, is that pretty soon the whole Bible becomes like the good china. We bring it out every once in a while, but mostly set it aside. Maybe we worry that we don't have the capacity to wrestle with it. Or we think others seem to know the Bible so much better than we do, we're just not qualified. Or maybe we worry that if we wrestle too hard, we'll break it, and that our faith will shatter like the cream porcelain plates, and we'll never be able to put it back together. Or maybe we've just been hurt by it too many times. But part of the gift of being church together is that we get to practice our biblical manners, our biblical imaginations and questioning and listening together. So let's draw up a seat at this table with this passage and see what we can do. When we meet a text as hard and challenging and potentially painful as this one, what biblical manners should we use? All right, first, ask yourself, what else is happening around the, the verses we just read? What's the context? After all, you can get the Bible to say or support just about anything if you take a verse or two out of its larger story. In the case of this passage today, we know that Jesus has been pushing against the religious authorities, here it's the Pharisees, for a while. 
He's made them uncomfortable multiple times by healing on the Sabbath, by breaking practices of hand washing and ritual cleansing, by questioning their understanding of the law. And more than once in response, including today, they have tried to test Jesus. Did you notice that? The point of this discussion really isn't to get Jesus' opinion on divorce, but rather that the power brokers in Jesus' tradition are pushing to see how far they can get him to go. If they can finally get him to say something that will prove he is unbalanced and untrustworthy. One writer says, the Pharisees act like they're seeking instruction, but they aren't really. They aren't struggling with this in their souls. They aren't coming to Jesus in pain or humility or need. They don't have a real question. It's more like they have been threatened and they're ready to strike. They don't actually want dialogue. They want control. At least part of what all of that means is that if you are coming to this passage today with your own struggle or pain or hurt, if you are divorced or going through a divorce or love someone who is divorced and you hear these words and you just brace yourself to see how painful this discussion is going to be, the truth is this passage really isn't about you. The context of this passage shows us Oh, there are a bunch of times that the authorities try to trap Jesus in his own words, whether it's about rituals or Sabbath or divorce, and each time they don't really care about the subject itself. They care about how Jesus reacts to being provoked. So, context tells us this story isn't really about divorce at all. Okay, you say, Maybe divorce wasn't the point, but the words are still here. What do we do with them? Well, here's a second question. What do we know about the time this passage was written in history? What do we know about marriage and divorce in the Bible? We know that marriage evolves significantly over the course of the biblical story. From the multiple wives and concubines of the Old Testament, men like Abraham, to the 700 wives of King Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 11, if you want to verify that number, <clears throat> all the way to the instruction from Paul that Christians really shouldn't bother getting married at all. History also tells us that divorce was a generally accepted part of life in the first century. That text that the Pharisees are quoting after all from Deuteronomy is describing how a divorce could happen, which assumes divorces will happen. In general, it seems that women could not initiate divorce. And we know that divorce particularly made women vulnerable since they had no means of supporting themselves without being part of a family. So that certificate of dismissal that the Mosaic law commanded protected women from being the object of rumors in their communities, which could be hugely damaging to them. And one last thing. Strangely enough to our ears, when Jesus says that a man can commit adultery against a woman, 
he's actually raising up the status of women. Because in those days, a woman's sexuality belonged to her father until it belonged to her husband. But here, Jesus says the woman herself is harmed when relationships fall apart. She's not just somebody else's property. She is a person in her own right. So, context tells us that this passage isn't a genuine concern about divorce, but rather a means of tangling Jesus up in his own words. And history shows us that marriage and divorce are part of the biblical story and that they change and evolve over time. And that our human rules should never be used to make people more vulnerable than they already are. And drilling down even further tells us one last thing. Time and again, Jesus refuses to get trapped in our games of seeing what we can get away with when it comes to treating each other well. So any attempt to use Jesus' words as a weapon are a betrayal of the Jesus who turns over and over again to little children as the ones who are here to teach the rest of us how to live. At its heart, this passage proclaims that we human beings are built to be connected to one another and to God. As the creation story puts it, we are not made to be alone. From the beginning, we need each other, and that may result in marriage, but it may also come to life in friendship, in parenting, in neighborhoods, and in churches. And anytime we try to bend the rules to see what we can get away with, anytime we try to treat each other as disposable, we are missing something holy, which is a true encounter, a true relationship with another human being. Marriage can be very good and it can be very bad. And when it is, if it traps or wounds or diminishes or harms us, when it is broken beyond repair, then God grieves with us and helps us pick up the pieces and start again. That is not a sin. It is nothing to be ashamed of. If it's not what anyone wanted in the beginning, it is simply a part of life. And if we say that nothing, not death or life or angels or rulers or things present or things to come, not anything in creation. If we say that nothing can separate us from the love of God, then divorce can't either. So wrestle with these stories, ask your questions of them, talk to one another about them. These words are not fragile porcelain plates meant to be looked at occasionally, but never touched. We will not break this word, which has come in Jesus to break us open to the grace and the mercy of God so that we might truly see each other as bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh. Let's sit together at the table and take out this ancient and yet brand new word and hear together once again. We are loved by a God who gives the kingdom to children and whose promises are not fragile and whose mercy to every single one of us 
is never shattered. Thanks be to God. Amen.